Okay, tonight is a really special treat. Andrew Arndt is here with us tonight. He's not preaching, but, but just give it up for Andrew Arndt. That was a little Jesus juke right there, you know? Andrew Arndt and I were in England and Scotland in the fall for our doctoral program. We're two years through our doctoral program. We have one year left. Praise the living Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And we were in the UK and Kelly Key is one of the students, 21 students in this program. And Kelly is exceptional. She's a world-class writer. And Kelly decided to bring her husband on this trip in the fall. And we bump into this guy, Brian Key, and immediately just a bro connection. Like we're, we're hanging out late, we're talking, we're, we're catching up. He's pastored for 16 years in Kansas City. He's done the work. He's the same age as me and Andrew. Three little girls, living the life of the pastor. He's been past, or preaching now and teaching at Grimke Seminary in Richmond, Virginia for the last year. But I, I'll never forget one night, it's a bunch of writers. And so we were in this beautiful old home in the Lake District of England and a bunch of writers got out their work to start reading their pieces to each other. And the room is just ready to receive these words. And Brian is there with his wife, Kelly. And I, I said to Brian, hey, you got anything you wanna read? And he said, I, I might be able to do something. And at the end of the night, Brian stood up and dropped us all to our knees with this, this poem, this long six-minute poem that had us crying, had us on the edge of our seat. And immediately that night, I knew we are working with a man of God. This is someone who grew up in East Texas in the church. He, he served the Lord Jesus for 40 years. His parents have been married for 50 years. This is a man of God. He's got authority. And I knew we were in the Sermon on the Mount series. And based on this poem that he read us, I said, Brian, would you come and preach to the Friday night congregation on the words of Jesus? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The man that's coming to the stage tonight knows the Lord and he has spiritual authority to preach this message. Would you give a great new life Friday night welcome to Brian Key? Thank you, uh, thank you, Daniel, for um, that warm welcome. Um, he talked me up. <laughs> he talked me up. Hey, um, New Life Family, it is a joy and a privilege to be here with you tonight. Um, as Daniel said, I hung out with he and Andrew, and over the course of a couple weeks, got to know them, and I'm just so thankful for these brothers, uh, thankful for their friendship and, um, and their support of me and my family, and I'm grateful to have a chance to serve you in preaching God's word tonight. It's my joy to do so. If you have your Bibles, would you open up with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. We have a short text tonight, and hopefully I'll be out your way in not too long. When you find it, say amen. Amen. If you haven't, say, wait a second, preacher. All right, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, the Lord Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. Would you pray with me? So, Father, as we 
open up your word tonight, I ask that you would open up our hearts. We come weak and needy to this task as preachers, as hearers, we need your help. And so God, would you come and do through your word, would you comfort us by your word? Would you confront us by your word? And would you conform us into the image of your son through your word and by your spirit? And I ask for the spirit's help tonight because I'm I'm aware that there's not a level of volume or an amount of eloquence that I could produce in myself that will provoke the heart change that we all need tonight. So Spirit of living God, would you fall fresh on this place? Would you come in a demonstration of your own presence and power tonight? And God, as I preach your word, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen and amen. Well, the year was 1993, and Dolores Van Cartier, also known as Sister Mary Clarence, shows up at a troubled, failing inner-city Catholic school. You know the movie, Sister Act 2. And she shows up on her first day of class, and uh, the students are a bit unruly. In fact, one of her teachers uh, said something to the effect of, welcome, you are the new mayor of Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> At St. Francis was a rough place, and, and it was a rough, after a rough, a rough couple of days, she lays down the law, and she lets her students know that it is a brand new day. She says, it's a brand new day. The order of the classroom was about to change. The world, as they had known it, was about to be turned upside down, or better yet, right side up. It was going to require them to to think differently and act differently in the world and react and participate in an in-breaking new reality. That's the sort of setting uh, that we're in as we enter into the Sermon on the Mount. If you remembered, if you were to rewind back to Matthew chapter 4, Matthew sets us up and he puts us on notice that a new reality is breaking in. The kingdom of God is breaking in. He, He quotes this prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9 The people walking in darkness has seen a great light, and those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And and where his first readers would have expected a continuation of the reading of that promise and the announcement of a king who's going to come and set the world right, the king just speaks himself. In verse 17 of Matthew 4 and says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, a new reality is breaking in, things are about to change around here. And in, in, in chapters five through seven, uh, he begins to share what his kingdom is about. And he, it's, it's a constitution of a sort, the Sermon on the Mount is. And in uh, the preamble of this constitution of his new kingdom, he sets out uh, some sayings, some beatitudes. I love how Pastor Andrew said it a few weeks back and said that, that Jesus is defining for us who is in a favored position with God. He's redefining for us who's in a favored position with God. And and in this string of paradoxical statements, Jesus commends people and realities that don't make sense to us. We would never commend them according to our worldly value systems. And one of the most shocking ones is found in this second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn. It's something that grates against us when we hear about mourning, right? Like we, we get uncomfortable with it. We don't, we don't like it. We're uncomfortable with tears and so uncomfortable, in fact, that anytime someone breaks out crying in front of us, we do anything we can to try to like stop it, right? It's like we can't let that get out too far. 
We do anything we can to, to stop it. Or, or maybe if you're like me, you, you get to a point where the mourning and the heaviness just weighs on you so much that you just want to medicate it away, right? You choose whatever your substance is and you want to medicate it away, right? The great cultural critic Solange Knowles put it this way in her song, Cranes in the Sky. She said that I tried to drink it away. I tried to put one in the air. I tried to dance it away. I tried to change it with my hair. She said, I tried to keep myself busy. I ran around in circles. I think I made myself dizzy, and so I slept it away. I sexed it away. I read it away. She says that as she was in a, in a city, as she's talking about the song, she was in a, a city where developers had these cranes up and they were uh, building up a reality that, uh, around what they thought was broken and what needed to be renewed. And she realized looking at these edifices that like, we do the same thing. Like we, st- we stack up cranes and build up these things to try to keep ourselves from feeling and seeing what's broken around us. Or some of us who are Christians in the room, we opt for a saccharine, sentimental spirituality in the face of mourning. How you doing, brother? I'm blessed and highly favored, right? I'm blessed and highly favored. You just cried yourself to sleep last night, and you cried in the car on the way here. We avoid pain. But here's the thing, family. Here's the thing. Jesus is letting us know in this verse today, that the, the, the way of healing and the way of comfort is not in trying to medicate it away or avoiding it or in saccharine sentimentality. It's not an avoidance of pain that we're after. Pain, mourning, is actually the pathway into blessedness in the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, he says. And it's not blessing in the thin way that, that we think about it uh, with, our, with our churchy words. Jesus is trying to let us know that today, if we find ourselves buried in our mourning, buried in the difficulty of the day, we don't need to medicate it away. He says, blessed are you. In other words, God has something to offer you today. I wonder how many of you believe that today. And as we look at this text this evening, I want you to hear this, this, this particular point, that what Jesus is inviting us to see is that mourning is the threshold to comfort in the kingdom of God. Mourning is the threshold to comfort in the kingdom of God. I want to look at this text in two movements, and I'm out of your way this evening. I want to look first at the pervasiveness of mourning, the pervasiveness of mourning, and then I want to consider with you the promise of comfort. The pervasiveness of mourning and the promise of comfort. When you come into the Sermon on the Mount, it's helpful, helpful to remember all the context of Jesus preaching about these in-breaking realities and who he's preaching these words to. Like these were people who were longing for the in-breaking of the kingdom of God. They were longing for God to move afresh in their day, to speak a word, to set them free, to bring some kind of hope. Now, mind you, these were people who had a history with God. They were people who go all the way back. If you go all the way back to the Exodus, God says to Moses, I've seen my people. I've heard their cries, and I myself have come down to deliver them. And he set them free from one of the most powerful dynasties in the history of the world. And not only that, he fed them all the way across the wilderness. They had food. They had water. Their clothes never, ever wore out. God took care of them. He vanquished their enemies in front of them. They had known the settling presence presence of God in the land of promise. But in the centuries since that deliverance, 
There was this cycle of sin and rebellion against God, this cycle of idolatry and syncretism. They were unjust and idolatrous people. Their kings and religious leaders were not leading in accordance with God's law. They trusted God with their lips, Isaiah tells us, but their hearts were far from him. And because of their sin and rebellion, God did as he promised and sent them away into exile in Assyria and, and in Babylon. And these were people who, even after they got free out of the exile, weren't exactly free. Like they were living under Roman rule when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. Like they were not actually free. And they had been waiting in 400 years of silence, waiting on God to speak. These people were longing for a word from God well acquainted with the morning, well acquainted with the questions of how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Well acquainted with the, the, those types of questions and into that pain, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. But, but our reasons for mourning, though, go beyond Israel and Judah's history. The Bible's not shy about giving us the truth about life and why we mourn as we do. Since Genesis chapter 3, human beings have been in rebellion against the living God. And in our sin, we have a torn relationship with God and we have torn down relationships with other people. We, or we are dead in our sins apart from Jesus. The scriptures say alienated from God, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. We are in a bad spot. That is a reason for mourning. And if that's not enough, those who do not know Jesus can only have, only have the wrath of God awaiting for them if they don't turn and trust Jesus. Like, this is a lot to mourn about. And if you go even further, sin brought somebody with him. Sin brought death. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 that sin comes into the world through this one man, Adam, and death came through sin. And so then sin so death spreads to all men because all of us sin. And, and sin, Isaiah tells us, is like a veil cast over all the peoples. There's a heaviness about a fallen world apart from God. One scholar says that bereavement is part and parcel of this age in the fallen world world. Sin and death have given us ample reason to mourn. To, to, to mourn is to embrace reality. You need to hear that tonight. To mourn is actually to embrace reality. Like to mourn is to say, this is not the way things are supposed to be. This is not the way things are supposed to be, but blessed are they that mourn. Can we get more personal than the broad theological reasons though to mourn? In this room, there's likely someone who is mourning because of a crushing diagnosis. In this room, there's someone mourning the tragic loss of a loved one. In this room, there's probably someone mourning a broken marriage that you're longing for healing in or divorce. There's someone mourning maybe from some type of abuse in this room. There's people mourning from miscarriages all around us all the time. And yet somehow, Jesus looks into that reality, your reality. Jesus looks you in your eye, in your particular situation, in your particular type of mourning and says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. My wife and I became parents for the first time almost 14 years ago. Um, our daughter, Olivia Grace, was born then uh, in 2009. And 
We were like all new parents, delighted to have a kid, but immediately we were plunged into difficulty with, in her life. Her first month she was spent in the NICU. She was failure to thrive. She never ate by mouth, eventually developed lung and heart issues, and we never had any kind of diagnosis. She, the only word she ever said was daddy, which my wife used against me in the middle of the night when the diaper needed to be changed. But it was a, it was a life of hardship for that little girl. And we are mourning in the middle of that, like wondering like, God, what are you doing here? I I don't understand what's going on. And over the course of her three years, she kept getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And eventually we had to lay her to rest in the summer of 2012. And in the middle of that season, a priestess, a psalm that just happened to fall on the calendar in the sovereignty and providence of God And the question in the middle of Psalm 137, verse 4 says, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And yet, Jesus looks into that morning of that season of our lives and every day since and says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. He, he looks his people in the eyes and he looks us in the eyes and he says, blessed are those who mourn. Now, let me clarify something really quick. Mourning is not the same as complaining. Mourning is not the same as complaining. Paul David Tripp says uh, in his devotional New Morning Mercies, he says, there are only two responses we can have to the brokenness that complicates all of our lives, cursing or mourning. He says that cursing is the wrong response. We curse what we have to deal with because it makes our life harder than we want them to be. Cursing is about our comfort, our pleasure, our ease. Cursing, he says, is fundamentally self-centered. But mourning, he says, is a much better response. Mourning embraces the tragedy of the fall. Mourning acknowledges that the world is not the way God meant it to be. Mourning cries out for God's redeeming and restoring hand. Mourning acknowledges the suffering of others. Mourning is about something bigger than the fact that life is just hard. Mourning grieves what sin has done to the cosmos and longs for the Redeemer to come and make his broken world new again. Mourning, he says... It's prompted by grace. Jesus looks at the longing, waiting people on that mountain, and he looks at people in this room today and says, blessed are they that mourn. Again, family, Jesus is inviting us to see that mourning is the threshold to comfort in the kingdom of God. Let's move down into the text and get to our second movement here and and, and talk about the promise of comfort. The promise of comfort. Uh, a few years ago during Advent season, I was reading um, through the Chronicles of Narnia with my uh, daughter, one of my daughters, and we were reading in the line of Witch in the Wardrobe, and we got to the moment where the kids are at dinner with the Beaver family, and they hear that Aslan is on the move. Aslan's on the move, and it was this strange feeling of good news that came over them, Lewis tells us. And uh, as Mr. Beaver uh, whispers that Aslan is on the move, they've known Narnia only as this unrelenting winter that never, ever goes away. He says, but Aslan's on the move. And Lewis says, he narrates it and says, now a curious thing happened. None of the children who knew Aslan any more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. See, at the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump inside of them. That's the kind of feeling 
this beatitude is meant to evoke in our hearts. See, when Jesus finishes it, he does something beautiful. He says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Now, that might just sound like a nice little proverb to you, right? That's a, it's a great saying, Jesus, but that doesn't help me on this day when I'm crying. But for these people who knew the promises of God and what God was going to do, who were waiting on God to bring relief and restoration, who were waiting on the coming king to come and set the world to rights, this statement would have made their hearts leap. Why? Because Isaiah 61 says this, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He's sent me to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit." That's the words of the promised Messiah. Those are the words of the promised Messiah. This was the one that God's people were longing for. This was the one who would be the yes to all of God's promises of healing and restoration. And did you hear that in the middle of it? He says, I'm gonna comfort those who mourn. Can you imagine the things going off in these people's hearts as they looked into the promises of God and were like, wait, 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 the Messiah is supposed to come and comfort those who mourn. When the kingdom breaks in, there's going to be comfort for those who... So you're saying that the kingdom has broken in right here. How can we be sure, Jesus? How can we be sure? Well, the kingdom of heaven is at hand and the king is on the move. The king is on the move. The mourners are blessed because God has promised that they would be comforted. In Jesus, in this Messiah, he's brought the comfort of God close in his person to the people of God who are mourning over everything broken in the world around us. That's why they're blessed. That's why they're blessed. And did you notice the passive verb at the end of that sentence? I love words. He said, they shall be comforted. That's passive. That's passive Jesus is telling us that there's nothing that you can do to achieve comfort. There's nothing that you can do to buy comfort. There's no politician or regime who can come in and give you the comfort that you desperately long for. He says they shall be comforted, which means Jesus is coming to do for you what you and I could never ever do for ourselves, family. He's coming to heal what's broken. He's coming to put an end to the mourning. He is coming in a few words, what one scholar says, to bring a comprehensive cosmic renewal. A comprehensive cosmic renewal. I like that. Family, mourning, mourning is the threshold into comfort in the kingdom of God because it prepares our hearts to receive the coming of the king. It prepares our hearts to receive the the renewing work of God. God has broken in. And did you notice that word shall? Shall is a big word. Shall be comforted. Shall is a word of promise. And by word of promise, I mean that in biblical terms. You and I are kind of people who break promises, right? We fail for whatever reason and we break promises um, that's just a part of being human and failing and weak and sometimes just not able to. Sometimes I have no intention to, right? And because of that, when someone gives us promises, the bigger they are, the less likely we are to take them at their word, right? Like, that seems like a lot, man. I don't, I don't know about that. 
I don't know if I can trust you to do that kind of work. Mostly, I have a hard time trusting because I just don't want to be disappointed if it falls through. I just don't want to be disappointed. But family, I, I need you to hear tonight, New Life, that, that when God makes promises, when God makes promises, family, when God makes promises, he intends to and will do everything in his power to keep them. See, you see, when, when God makes promises throughout the scriptures, God is stating a reality into the future that you have yet to meet where he intends to meet you and fulfill his promise. When God speaks a word of promise, it is as good as done, family. How do you know he can do that key? Well, because he says, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. So when he says, shall, you can count it good as done. don't have to hold back your heart when you hear a promise from God. You can let yourself get sucked all the way into the promises of God. You can count them as good as done, family. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. This promise, one New Testament scholar says, that, that they shall be comforted is the announcement of divine intervention. It says implicit to divine comfort is the removal of a cause for mourning. So the time of remorse, disenfranchisement, loss, bereavement is over since God will act on behalf of those who turn to him in order to restore that lost relationship. One's confidence in God's future intervention is based on the fact that he's now at work in Jesus, bringing his promises to fruition. Therefore, while our hope for the future does not remove the reality of our present mourning, it places it, he says, listen, in a totally different light in context. So how is Jesus comforting us right now? Like how is the present comfort of Jesus good for us right now and into the future, you might ask? Well, a couple of ways. One is you gotta think about sin, right? Sin started the mourning problem, right? Sin started the mourning problem. And the first bit of good news for all of those who are right now mourning the depth of your own sin, feeling the weight of that guilt, feeling the weight of that shame, the good news for you right now is that you can repent and believe the gospel and know that shall kind of comfort that, knows, that, that comes in the grace of God. You can know that right here, right now. Jesus has come and lived a perfect sinless life that you and I never could. He died a, died a death that you and I deserve to die. He was raised from that dead and lives forevermore. And by faith in him, you don't have to mourn over your sin any longer. You can know his grace and forgiveness right now. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. There's comfort in the gospel in our, for our sinfulness and all the things we're mourning. I love how, how Paul walks this stuff out in Ephesians. He says in Ephesians chapter one that God planned for our redemption. That's a word of comfort. He planned for your redemption, which let me, let me see if I can make it plain to you. By him planning for your redemption before the foundation of the world, that means he had you in mind before he said, let there be. He had the reality of your life. He knew what he was going to have to rescue you from. And he set his affections on you before he spoke the world into existence. So in the places you're mourning because you feel forgotten by God, I need you to hear today that you can never be forgotten by the God who remembered you before there was a you. And 
the good news gets better, Paul tells us. He says that in time, God worked out our redemption through the blood of Jesus, and he has now raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places, and it gets even better because he says that in the coming of ages, he is going to show to us his immeasurable riches in, in grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We've got present forgiveness, and it carries all the way into eternity. That's comfort for those who are mourning over their sin tonight. Listen to me, some of you in the room might be prone, might be prone to try to penance your way out of your sin that you feel grief over right now. Try to work yourself out of it right now. Family, you will never ever find comfort in trying to earn the forgiveness of God because you can't earn the forgiveness of God. That is a pathway to anxiety, family, but you can confess your sins And he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Blessed are they that mourn over their sin. Blessed are they that mourn over their sin. And family, the the promises of the gospel just keep getting richer and keep getting more and keep getting more. I love how Romans 8, Paul lays it out. He says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a word of comfort to us. And he walks down and says, and not only that, but you are now, uh, the spirit now indwells you and you are now sons of the living God. That's a good word of comfort, right? And not only that, that the, the present suffering is not to be compared to the glory that is to come. That's a word of comfort, right? And if God be for us, who can be against? us who can lay any charge against God's elect no one can and what can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus nothing blessed are those who mourn and find their comfort in the grace and forgiveness that Jesus offers us but it's not just comfort eternally and before our sin there's comfort in the midst of trouble right here right now because through Christ we now have the spirit of God dwelling in us that comforter dwelling in us, reminding us of the truth and promises of God. There's a season in Olivia's life, it was during the NICU span at the first part of her life, and I was just eaten up. We had sung uh, Great Is Our Faithfulness um, at church, and I was like, man, where is that passage? And I turned to Lamentations chapter 3, and Lamentations chapter 3 is a beautiful passage. There's a gospel turn in the middle of it. But Lamentations is a, is a, is a mourning and a lament. He's made my teeth to grind on gravel. And he's made me cower in the ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say that my endurance has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. That sounds like mourning, doesn't it? That sounds like I'm in a jam right now, Jesus. And it's tough right now, Jesus. I'm mourning right now, Jesus. Can you come and do something about it right now, God? But then he turns the corner in verse 21 and says, but this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. You know what words are engraved on our daughter's gravestone? Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Because of his comfort in the middle of trouble. As you remember his faithfulness and as you remember his promises, he is able to comfort you right now where you sit, where you mourn right now. At that point early in her life, I I saw that word steadfast love and I said, man, I know that's all over the scriptures. And I began to read and pray through the Psalms and saw his steadfast love everywhere. That's his covenant faithfulness. That's his pledge and his promise to do his people good and to keep every word of promise to them all over the Psalms. And then as I read the Psalms, I saw these statements of, God is, God is, God is rock, fortress, refuge. But there was this word in front of those, my refuge, 
my rock, my fortress. And I began to say like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's not just some distant, far off God. I can relate to him now as my God, as my rock, as my fortress. And then I heard David's words in Psalm 23, where he says, he is my shepherd, the Lord Yahweh, the creator and covenant keeping God is my shepherd. And he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. He says, my shepherd is a with me shepherd right here, right now. And I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, which means that the valley is a through place and not a two place. You can know the comfort of God right here, right now. He is the father of all mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. But there's more comfort to be had. And it's down the road, looking us down the road in the future. Easter has always been my favorite day, one of my favorite days of the year, but the year after my daughter passed away, it was just rich with meaning. And one of my friends and and pastors said to me, he said, I bet you've never sang that hard and that loud on any other Easter at any other time. I said, man, I haven't because right now in the middle of that morning, that is my only hope. And that is your only hope, New Life Church family. That is your only hope. The answer to how shall we sing the Lord's song is found in the resurrection of Jesus himself. We keep singing in the middle of difficulty because of the hope that is laid out in front of us, that future that God has written for us and pledged to us in the resurrection of Jesus. I will be raised with him. You will be raised with him to new life. The perishable is going to put on the imperishable. And we will sing with the saints of old into all eternity that death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And because of that future hope out there, you look at throughout Paul's ministry and he says things like this in in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says that for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight in glory beyond all comparison. Did you hear that? He says in light of the resurrection, your morning right now, light momentary affliction. He says, in light of what God has coming for us, we have a hope and a comfort that cannot be compared. Blessed are they that mourn. Jesus is on the move, family. He's on the move bringing comfort. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's the promise of God through Christ Jesus, and you can bank your life on it, family. That's the kind of comfort and hope that your souls long desperately for tonight. It's the kind of hope that stirs my affections for the living God and wakes me up and and keeps me in the middle of my morning, in the middle of when the tears come. I'm like, hey, hey, there's hope and there's comfort right here, right now, and forevermore in Jesus. You go back to that dinner scene in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and there's this sense that something beautiful is coming, right? The sense that something wonderful is coming. In the, in the dinner with the beavers, they're asking questions about, well, what's gonna happen? How do you know? The white witch is taking things over, but Aslan's on the move. She says, won't, won't, won't they turn him into stone too? Won't they turn him into stone too? And Mr. Beaver says, Lord, love you, son of Adam. What a simple thing to say. Turn him into stone No, I I doubt she can stand on two feet and look him in the face. That'll be the most she can do and more than I expect of her. No, he'll put all to right, as it says in the old rhyme in these parts, that wrong will be right when Aslan comes into sight. And at the sound of his roar, sorrow will be no more. And when he bears his teeth, winter meets his death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. As I read that with my daughter, she was five years old. She had lost her older sister. 
and was grieving her still at that point. And she says to me, Daddy, I wish Aslan would come and shake his mane and that it would be spring again. And after I cried my eyes out, I said, hey, baby, there's better news for us. There's better news for us, family. We don't need Aslan to come shake his mane because my Bible tells me in Revelation chapter 5 that there's another lion. And his name is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And just like those kids in Lewis's story, we've seen the devastating effects of sin and death. But in the Sermon on the Mount, what we get a glimpse of is that the lion of the tribe of Judah is on the move, family. And in that manger in Bethlehem, family, the lion of the tribe of Judah began to shake that mane. And the light of the kingdom of God broke into the darkness of our world. And as he lived that perfect sinless life, family, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he was shaking his mane. And as they marched him up on Calvary's mountain that Good Friday. He was shaking his mane. Sin and death thought they had another one, but he was shaking his mane and they laid him in that grave because he died, didn't he die? He laid in that grave all night Friday and he laid in that grave all day Saturday and he laid in that grave all night Saturday, but death did not know that he was still shaking his mane because early that Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hands. The lion of the tribe of Judah has been shaking his mane since that day. And I want you to know today, family, he is coming back again. And one day he's going to set the world completely to right. He's going to shake that mane again and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore because the former things will have passed away. And that lion of the tribe of Judah who is seated on the throne right now, controlling everything right now says, behold, I make all things new. And we'll say, behold, our God, we've waited for him. We've waited for him to save us. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. I don't know where you are tonight or where you're from tonight. But if you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, can I invite you into the comfort that he alone can provide Can I invite you to take that step of faith now and realize that you'll never find it anywhere else and you'll never be able to outrun God and you'll never be able to work for him and earn his his presence and earn his favor. But you can have it right now by repenting, turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus now. Blessed are those who mourn and turn to the only one who can comfort them for salvation. If that's you, turn to Jesus tonight. Or maybe you're here and you're in the middle of morning right now and you need God to move right now in this place and I dare you to find somebody and say hey can you pray for me right now Lord help my unbelief and would you just touch somebody and say can you pray for me even right now that's the comfort of God would rush over me that he would be for me my refuge my rock my fortress my deliverer my good shepherd and maybe you're here right now and you're staring death in the face maybe a death that's already happened or death is staring you in the face right now in your own suffering and diagnosis. If that's you, you can know the comfort of God right now that will carry you all the way through and into eternity, family. That's the welcome of God for you tonight. That's what God wants to offer you tonight. I wonder if you have faith to just trust that his shall is a good word of promise to us tonight. Would you stand with us and I'll I'll pray for us. Daniel, come back up.
Father, you are good on your word. You're good on your promises. Not one word of your promises ever fall. They all come to pass. So living God, would you come right now and meet us where we're mourning in this place right now? God, where there's people mourning and grieving over their sin right now, would you come and give them faith to trust you with that, to confess that, to repent, and to trust you right now? Where there's people who are hurting and they haven't told anybody that they're hurting, would you give them faith to trust you enough with their suffering and with their story to say, hey, I'm hurting right now and I need the presence of God right here, right now. And God, as we all live in the valley of the shadow of death, would you comfort us right now with the promises of the resurrection hope of Jesus to make all things new and to raise us up with him on that day? And would you set our eyes towards that day and help us run with endurance in the comfort that you alone can provide? Holy Spirit, come and move in this place among us as you will and as you wish. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Wait right here, B. Come up here. We're gonna sing, we're, we're calling a bit of an audible here. We're gonna sing, be strong, be not afraid. For the Lord is soon on his way. And in the ancient Near East where Jesus was talking, when someone died, when there was a, a memorial service, someone, they, would, they would parade through the streets with the body. And friends would gather around and the person who was grieving the most, they put right in the middle. They would not let them sit on the front row by themselves. They put them right in the middle and everyone would press around the one that was mourning and they would weep and wail and shout with them to cover their friends so that they weren't mourning alone. Mm-hmm. And we need to do this right now. We need to... Uh, in this room, I know there are people carrying. I want to I put up the pictures real quick that Brian gave us. Can you put up the two pictures? There's the first picture. Tell us her full name. Olivia Grace. Olivia Grace and his wife, Kelly. Give us the second picture. And there's Gabby. Gabby. As a baby. Looking up at her big sister. And some of you know what a picture like this means. And right now, you need to be surrounded by your brothers and sisters. And so if, I'm just asking if you could maybe just take a chance tonight. I don't want to shame or embarrass anyone. No no coercion. But if you feel like you could go, yeah, that's me tonight. I I need someone to agree with me. I need need to not be alone. I just need to sort of rebuke the quiet quiet loneliness by just going, I need need help. I need someone to pray with me. If that's you tonight, could you raise your hand? No, we we will take really good care of you, I promise. We're going to pray. Look around the room. These hands. Thank you for taking the risk with us. Thank you for being courageous and trusting us. Where you see a hand raised, will you please, brothers and sisters, be kind, be gracious, be appropriate, be sane, but circle them up right now and begin to release the blessing of God. Speak peace. Speak comfort. Speak blessing. Speak provision. Speak hope. Take a risk. It's okay to take a risk here with the people of God. And so right now, we speak the comfort of the Spirit right now, released in this room. Come on, everyone in the room, can you release comfort in Jesus' name? 
Comforter, come and care for your people. Holy Spirit, brood over your people. Holy Spirit, lift your people up. Holy Spirit, care for your people. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would provide for your people. I pray that tears that need to flow tonight would begin to flow. Tears are always the sign of a release, an unlocking of of the, the grace of God. So Lord, we pray for those who have been backed up and they haven't cried in months. We pray for the Holy Spirit's release. Brian, would you pray healing tonight? Release. God, we, we say right now in this room that you are Jehovah Rapha. You are God, our healer. And so living, loving, triune God, would you come and minister in this moment right now and speak words of comfort? Father, you are the God of all comfort and the Father of all mercies. Would you pour that out right now? you pour that out right now? Jesus, you have been tempted and tested and tried in every way, all the way through death. Would you come and bring your present, bring mercy and grace to help in our time of need right now? Spirit of the living God, would you right now come and fall fresh on us? Would you be the comforter that you are? Would you remind us of the truth of Jesus? Would you remind us of his great promises? And would you let that peace of God that transcends understanding, guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus tonight. For those who are stuck in their sin right now, bring freedom, God. For those who are stuck in cycles of condemnation and shame and guilt right now, would you liberate them right now? For those who need healing in their body right now, would you have mercy and stretch your hand right here, right now? For those who have soaked their bed with their tears tonight, God, would you bring comfort right now? Your word says that you've kept accounting of our tossing. You've counted all our tears in a bottle, God. Would you remind them of that truth and would you bring healing right here, right now in that? And for those who just need hope today to be reminded that there hope. is something to live for. Because hope. you live, Jesus, yes. we can face yes. tomorrow. Yes. We know that you hold our future. And so, God, would you remind us of that resurrection hope? And would you actually, God, let the future break in right here, right now? Yes. Let that, behold, yes. I make all things new, break in right here, right now, on tonight, in our hearts and in our lives, and bring the healing that you alone Soon can bring, God. Flood this place with your presence. Flood this place with your healing. Flood this place with your comfort, I ask, in the mighty name of Jesus. And now let's sing, be strong together, church. Let's worship the Lord.